All right, well, good morning. Glad that you're here today and uh, want to take time now to focus our attention upon God's voice as He speaks to us. We're going to continue uh, in our series that we started uh, towards the beginning of the year. And um, the New Year series, Love One Another, that's the big idea. We'll go through this. We'll, we'll bring this to an end uh, at the end of February. But today we're going to look at three ways that we can love one another. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 12. And we'll begin with our first one of belong to one another, Romans chapter 12. Now, I don't know how many of you have read the book of Romans, and I'm just going to give you a really quick, short outline of the book, chapters 1 through 5, uh, how to be justified in God's sight because we're all sinners, uh, chapters 6, 7, and 8, how to grow as a Christian, chapters 9, 10, and 11, a parenthetical thought, Israel stopped growing. Stop following the Lord, so the Lord had to set them aside. You know, he's not done with them, it's just they're on pause. Chapters 12 through 16 teach us how to continue growing in the grace that we received in chapters 1 through 5, learn how to put it into practice in 6 through 8, but then how to serve in chapters 12 through 16. So we come into chapter 12 in the context is uh, about personal conformity to Christ in verses 1 and 2, but then about service, beginning in verse 5, and we'll read down uh, through verse 8. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So, by God's grace... Stay humble. Don't exalt yourself. Okay? And then here, uh, remember that what you have spiritually to minister to other people, it, it came from God in the first place. All right? So if you can do the following, then these are because God has given you a gift. All right, so let's look in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth, that means encouraging on exhortations, and he that giveth, let him do it liberal, uh, with liberality, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so here you have a list of spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to be used in the context of, of the local church. We're humble, we serve one another, and then the spiritual unity that is found we find in verse 4. For as we have many members in our body, so you can hold out your hand and Wiggle your fingers, okay, or your toes, 
all right? Uh, you can make funny uh, noises with your mouth and your tongue and so forth. And you know that that's just part of your human body. And your human body is not just one big tongue, all right, sliding across the ground like a snail. Uh, nor it's one big foot stomping throughout the earth giving toe jam odor, all right? So you realize that the body is in proportion and that all of the members work in harmony. And obviously when something gets sick or injured, then, well, that's not the ideal, is it? So if something's not working properly, then it needs to be healed, right? You go to the doctor for that. So the same then is true in the body of Christ, all right? We belong to one another. Now, not so much the fact that it is a command, but as a reality. So notice with me in verse 5, So we, being many, are one body in Christ. So we are part of that body. All right? This is Calvary Baptist Church. All right, little rabbit trail here for just a second. Those who study the, the teaching on the church, they like to point out that there's this thing called the universal church, which is wherever you go throughout the world, you find Christians, and that's God's church. That's true, because I've traveled to the Philippines, and I've been able to preach in, in the Filipino churches, and I've had fellowship with the, the Filipino believers. But I went to a local church, all right? A group of people that were gathering. And so when you read your New Testament, this concept of the church is not this invisible thing that you do invisible service to and you give invisible money to and there's these invisible leaders. No, we gather together. And so I now I know we've got folks watching online for different reasons today, some health concerns, and we're glad to have you. But God's ideal is that we come together and that we show that we belong to one another. We visibly meet. And that's why Paul puts it in Hebrews, that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, the problem in America today <clears throat> is individualism. We're too selfish. We don't think of other people. We only think of ourselves. So what we're looking at today puts a governor, a throttle on that individual mentality. We, we belong to one another, all right? We're one body. Yes, we're, we're individuals, but we belong to one another. And so that is a reality, okay? Now, not everybody in here has the same spiritual gift, or maybe you're not in, in, in office in the church. But we all have to function together, all right? So we use our spiritual gifts then to serve one another. So there's the, the gifting that goes along with that. So <clears throat> when you do get saved, God does put you in a family. You become a son of God. Now, Jesus is the son of God, but you become a son of God or a daughter of God. You become a child of God and you've entered into his family. Then you need to find other Christians that make that same statement. 
hey, I've come to put my trust in Jesus. And I want to be with God's people. I want to I be with, together with them. I want this to be a family. And so we, we treat one another then as a family. As I was sharing uh, a few weeks ago, the, the foundation for the structure of church is the individual home. It's a family. That's what God builds his church model on. Not the Old Testament temple model, not the New Testament uh, large gathering model, but rather just the individual home. It's called the house of God. So we become a family. We belong to one another. Now, spiritually what happened to you is that when God placed you into his family, that's called spirit baptism, 1 Corinthians 12. You were all by one spirit baptized into Christ Jesus. Well, you didn't see that happen. So how do you demonstrate that? All right, well, water baptism, all right, is, is one way that you portray what happened when you got placed into God's family. But then the next step beyond that is you commit in a covenant to your brothers and sisters in Jesus that you exist to take care of them, that you exist to serve them. And so we call that church membership, all right? But entering into that covenant and taking care of God's family because we are that one body. Now, it's very interesting. Um, as you study the doctrine of the church in the New Testament, the word church is not used as much as you think it might be used, but rather different illustrations of the church are used. And the human body is one illustration, and that's used here in Romans 12. It's also used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and so that's very important. You know, the word church is not used in the Old Testament at all. And the first time it's used is in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus says, I will build my church. So the church began on the day of Pentecost. And so then we, we see that we belong to one another. And so we minister in verse 7, or we teach in verse 7, or we encourage in verse 8. Uh, I had a phone call with a brother in Christ this week, and... Uh, he was an encourager. He was an uplifter. He had that gift of exhortation. Um, some of you have the gift of giving. Wait a minute. I just mentioned the giving word. All right. But you know you can give here at Calvary by the little wooden box by the double glass doors on your way out. But, you know, giving is so much more than that. Giving is your time. It's really giving your life. You see, this is what Paul taught the, the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians. He said that the Corinthian believers first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave their gift. So giving money to the offering box without giving yourself, that's really not the spirit of giving. We, we give first ourselves to the Lord, and then we can give in other ways, but give our time. We give our lives to one another. We should be investing and spending time and building relationships as these one, one another commands have been teaching us, all right? So in the New Testament, 
it, this statement is made. For you yourselves do not need to be taught how to love one another, for the Spirit teaches you how to love one another. Well, how did the Spirit teach us that? Through the Bible. It recorded the commands in the Scripture, and that's how we love one another. And so, we don't have the same function within the body of Christ, but we all do have the same status, don't we? Amen? All right? Just because my, my finger can't do what my feet can do doesn't mean that it's not of the body. All right? It still has the same status as a body member. And so just because you don't have the same function that pastor has or a Sunday school teacher has or a deaconess or a deacon uh, does not mean that you don't have the same status. You just have a different function that's been assigned to you. So do your function and belong to one another. So God has bestowed these gifts so the local body can grow in a balanced way. Each Christian has to exercise her or his spiritual gift, and we dedicate it to God used for the good of the whole church. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says is the definition of a spiritual gift. It's the manifestation of the Spirit of God given for the profit, the benefit of all. So why did you receive a spiritual gift? To benefit every other person in this room. To use it to exhort, to encourage, to strengthen them. Um, one commentator put it this way. He says, it's tragic when any one gift is emphasized in a local church beyond all the other spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with or weapons to fight. All right? That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. I've got this gift. Well, that's okay, because I've got this one. Well, they were, they were pulling off into party factions and, and using their gifts not for one another. All right, so that is our verse, Romans 12, 5, that goes with this one. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. So if you're a Christian today, you belong to the body of Christ. Live that body life. Invest and build and use your spiritual gift and encourage or teach or minister whatever your spiritual gift is. If it's service, serve. You might even actually have a cluster of gifts. Have you ever thought of that? And at different points in your life, one of those little pieces of fruit on the cluster can, can grow and the others might recede to the background. Now, I know that it... Just from personal experience, when I was a young man in South Carolina, uh, my spiritual gifts were of helps and of, of ministry. And I took care of the grounds, and, and they had seven acres, and pretty much, I think they had six or seven trees on it. And by the time that my ministry was done there, we had over 100 trees, and we had hundreds of bushes, all right? We, we just, the place was beautiful. And so that was my spiritual gift for that place at that time, but towards the end of my time there, I wasn't doing that so much. I was beginning to teach and work in the youth group and teach in the Christian school, and I was ordained in that church. So those gifts of service and help, they began to recede, and the gifts of teaching began to move forward. And so those things can fluctuate in your life, but you have those gifts. So, belong to one another. I would encourage you, 
if you've been saved, praise the Lord, but then show that through water baptism. If you've already been water baptized, all right, then if you're not a member of a church, talk to one of the deacons today and become part of the Calvary family. All right, so here's our next one. Look out for one another, all right? So we were kind of doing that yesterday because we realized how dangerous we were, all right? Have tools will cause havoc, all right? And so we were like shielding ourselves and it's like, watch out now, stand back. You know, it's just like we're demoing and uh, things did fly, all right? So we were looking out for one another, but not in the context of what our verse is here today, all right? So let's look on uh, this next verse here. And so let's go over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Philippians 2, verse 4. All right, so if you're finding it in your Bibles, it's also up here on the screen. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Do you remember the comment I made earlier? The problem with, is individuality. Right? looking selfishly for our own best interests. Look out for number one. All right? So look not every man on his own things. Now, it's not a sin to attend to your basic needs. Okay? But you're supposed to go beyond that. You're supposed to look at what the needs of other people are. So, But every man also on the things of others. So let, let's dive into this and, and dissect this. So in the book of Philippians... Um, Paul is addressing the theme of having joy. That's the theme of the book of uh, Philippians. So if you want to learn how to have joy in the Christian life, read the book of Philippians. But he's asking them to bring some joy to his life. And he said, would you do this for me? I know God has made it possible for you to do this. Uh, it's within you to do this. God is working in your life to make this happen. Would you look out for one another? Would you look out for the needs of other people? That will bring joy to me as an apostle. And then, of course, then he uses Jesus as an example, beginning um, in verse 5 through 11. Jesus met our need. Jesus left the glory of heaven, the adoration of angels, to come down here to this earth, took on human body, complete, perfect humanity. Jesus is the only uh, person like this in the world that has ever lived or ever will live, in that he's perfect deity and perfect humanity at the same time. But he comes and he lives a human life and he's ridiculed. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus said, I am come not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus was known as a man who went about doing good. Jesus was a servant at the Last Supper, he takes off the teacher's gown. He puts on the servant's towel, and he begins to wash feet. And so he was looking out for the needs 
of his disciples, looking for the interests of other people. So Jesus is our example. Now, also in the book of Philippians, he talks about being like-minded. Now, we don't need to have the same opinion or to agree on everything, but we should have a common way of approaching a matter. We should come at things with the same attitude that we're looking out for others, not just our perspective on an issue. And so we've committed ourselves to loving each other and living in harmony. Now, if you look at this uh, here, what's the first word in the verse? Look, all right? It means to fix the attention upon with a desire for an interest in. So you're focusing your attention on someone else. You know what Paul said in Philipp, uh, Ephesians chapter 4? Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give to him that is in need. So a thief is no longer a thief, number one, when he stops stealing, but that's only half of the way there. He's completely reformed when he gets a job, goes to work, starts making an income so he can give to meet needs. You see, whatever God has given you, you need to get back out. You need to fix your attention upon what other people need. And when you see that need, here's how God works. He's going to show you that need because you have the resource, you have the gift or the ability to meet that need. When I was a young college student, uh, we had uh, three or four rooms that would come together every night and have a time of prayer. So there's about 11 or 12 guys in this one room, and we're, we're getting together to pray. And uh, we go around each night, and we would take prayer requests. And uh, one kid raises his hand, and he said, you know, just pray that I can have $5 so I can do my laundry. I haven't been able to do my laundry for two weeks. And so it was going around the room. Oh, you know, brother, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Three or four guys went around and said that and affirmed it, and it came to me, and they're like, well, what do you have to say? And I said, guys, we shouldn't pray about that. I said, we should give him $5. There's 11 of us in the room. I know we're all poor college students, but I think we can fork out a dollar or two, can't we? And so we don't need to pray about it. We just need to meet his need. And so we did. All right? So look at the interests of other people. Find out what they need and take care of that. So it's very interesting when we're supposed to esteem others better than ourselves. And this word looking, it's used in the, the imperative force. You must look. So it's, a, it's an imperative. So to seek one's own advancement is worldly, fleshly, carnal. To seek the prosperity, good, and promotion of others is divine. This is what Philippians 2.4 is expressing, is the, the spirit of the Lord Jesus. Those who heed the words of the Holy Spirit given to us through Paul, we take a larger view of life. Positive note here. Do you know that believers 
in local churches throughout this country give more in charity than the government does when a natural disaster comes? Isn't that wonderful? Because we're thinking of what their needs are. And I think one of the issues that we as God's children must address in our mind is not to rely on government, but to rely on God. Because He has given us resources, His resources, to actually meet human needs. And if we were to think of other people in our community at this level, think of what would take place in Hollister, what would take place in society if all of the churches woke up to this imperative. Look at the needs of other people. Now, specifically, to look at the needs of those within the family of God. Now, we have a deacon's fund, and we encourage you to give to that. And every once in a while, a need comes to the attention of our deacons. And they're glad to, to do that. So if you know of a need, and uh, talk to the deacons. Maybe the deacons fund can help in that regard. All right? But also, stop and think of it this way, is that we're to do good to everybody, but especially to those of a household of faith. When we make that covenant to take care of one another, we mean business. We mean that we're going to look out and meet the needs of one another. So, not to seek one's own advancement, but the advancement of other people. Now, you remember in the Old Testament when um, two men, an uncle and a nephew, stood on a mountain? And Abraham said, Lot, do you see out there? Why don't you choose first? You know how Lot chose? At the first part of the verse. He saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah and said, Money! I'm going to go there. Did God end up blessing Abraham? He sure did. Abraham took the, the dry and agave. But God blessed him. So don't worry that you're going to be in a position of want because you give to meet needs. Maybe Abraham could have thought that way. But Abraham was the father of faith. And he blessed us and showed us that when we make that choice to look on other people's needs, to put other people first, then God will bless us. All right, now let's go for our last one for today. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. All right, here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, um, I want us to read verse 10 because it goes together. Use hospitality one to another, without grumbling. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All right, God's grace, His unmerited favor, His luxurious resources. They're described as manifold. The word here, manifold, is not like on your car engine. 
It means multifaceted, multidimensional. You just keep looking at it, and every time you look at it, you see something new, something that just you, you can never run out meditating on the grace of God. You, you get a different perspective, a different angle of the depth and the beauty of it every time you look at the grace of God. So, now we're to be stewards. Now, remember, a steward is not someone who owns something, but someone who manages someone else's resources. So, God has given you a resource. It's His grace. You, then, are to be a servant and use that resource God has given to you to meet the needs of other people. Now, in context, we go back to verse 9. Use hospitality to one another without grudging. Now, this is a very interesting word, all right? Uh, it means to have a love for strangers. This is going to be fun. Let's, let's dive in. So, we have to put love into action. And hospitality amongst Christians in the first century was extremely important. And it was a common courtesy in the first century that even non-believers did. Now, do you realize that water and air at a gas station should be free? You don't have to pay for that? Because that's supposed to be a common hospitality courtesy in our culture. That's why that's out there. There's some things that need to be in place in the local church that ought to be free without begrudging. Okay? So here it says without grumbling. That means to murmur or to repeat to oneself words of complaint. Such words are often spoken quietly to oneself, but many times also to others. So, can you imagine being a first century Christian, and here comes to your local church assembly a stranger. You've never seen this person in your life before, and they're telling you they need hospitality. What would you do? There were no Hampton Inns or Fairfield Inns, no Holiday Inns. I don't even think that exists anymore, maybe. All right. No Comfort Inn, you know, no Best Western, no, no Motel 6. There was your home. And you were to love strangers and take them into your home. Wow. Now, I know what you're thinking. But, Pastor, that was the first century, and this is the 21st century. And if I love strangers, I'm going to be murdered by a, a serial killer. Right? No, not necessarily. God didn't say you get rid of common sense. God didn't say that you just dismiss safety. But I think hospitality is the forgotten one another command of the day and the age in which we live. Let me go on to further explain. Okay? 
we know that even the best guests can overstay their welcome sometimes, right? But that's why this little proviso is here without grumbling. Hmm. So are we grumbling against God's command to exercise hospitality? Using hospitality as friendliness or being friendly to strangers. Do you know it's only used here in 1 Peter and then two other times in the New Testament? Did you know it's a requirement for pastors and deacons? If we don't meet this test, then we don't get the office. Okay? First Timothy 3.2, about a pastor. Titus chapter 1, verse 8, about a deacon. So complaint spoils hospitality. Jesus enjoined the entertainment of strangers. Hospitality made mission work possible. Do you remember when Jesus sent the 70 out two by two? they were to go into a village and preach the gospel. And he said, and if you come to a son of peace, he'll have you in. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? So the apostles themselves were in need when Jesus sent them out on a mission. Can you think of all the times when Peter, he's the author of our particular text here, when he found himself in need of hospitality? Do you remember the night that he was in jail, the next morning he was supposed to be executed, and the church is making fervent intercession for him? And an angel comes and opens the doors for him, and he walks out. Where does he go? Does he check into the local five-star hotel in a city? No. He goes to Mary, the mother of John Mark. He goes to her home and knocks on the door. And we know the story, the little girl, Rhoda, it's like, Peter's at the door. You're crazy. That can't be. He's in jail. You know? Oh, it is Peter. Peter, come on in. You know? But it, they were a little reluctant there to believe. But Peter needed hospitality. Um, can you remember when Peter opened his home to Jesus? And his own mother-in-law benefited from being healed because Jesus was a guest in his home. Do you remember the time when Peter was in the city of Jaffa? Or Joppa. He was a guest in the home of Simon the what? The tanner. And he was resting there. Kind of nice, right? Um, but then he gets a knock at the door. Hey, we've come to find this guy named Simon Peter. We need him up in Caesarea uh, Maritime. Well, Peter travels north and goes up there. And he's received into a Gentile home. And the movement of the gospel to the Gentiles gets started because Cornelius opens his home. Um, 
he enjoyed the widespread and the generous hospitality of the Gentile Christians in the region of Galatia, Galatians chapter 2. Um, but he also failed in Galatians to provide hospitality to some of the fellow Christians. But in Peter's memory, there would be hundreds of homes in which he had entertained or had been entertained. They flooded his mind, and now he urges Christians in remote parts of the world to become addicted to hospitality and so win the reward which he had once heard the Master speak so eloquently of in Matthew chapter 25. Now, I know the context of Matthew 25, the least of these, the least of one of these, is a Jewish person, and they're in need. When did I see you hungry and fed you? When did I see you naked and clothe you? When did I see you thirsty and give you drink? When did I see you hungry and, and provide for you? When, when were you homeless and I provided you shelter? And Jesus says, whenever you did it to the least of one of these, my brethren, the Jewish people. Hospitality, folks, is what drives and builds relationships in the church. So today's message is love one another, relationship builders. Relationships cannot function when you're sitting in rows, counting the hairs or the lack of hairs on the back of someone's head. Okay? Hospitality is a command. A church doesn't grow if this is not happening because the other one another commands are not facilitated. They have to take place in the context of relationships. We have to belong to one another. We have to be doing this. And so Peter could go through and explain all of that. And so this overflowing love, it will find many opportunities in your life to minister to the needy. So there's a famous uh, teacher, uh, uh, preachers, and he said that the heresy in any message is in the application. So I have prayed over this this week, and I said, Lord, guard my mouth and shut me up. But folks, I cannot stand up here and remain silent. How can you gauge whether you're a hospitable person or not? We have new people coming into our church. Do you know their name? Have you brought five new people into your relationship this year? What does one need spiritually that's in their life right now? If you don't know, if you haven't brought these people into your heart and into your life, you're not looking out for their interests. You're not obedient to the love one another command. Yeah, you got to get out of your comfort zone. Loving strangers is a hard thing. There's one of our deacons that that I think exemplifies this. And I even cautioned them one time, be careful, you know, don't invite that person into your home. They might be a criminal. And then I'm thinking, why did I just say that? 
Let the Holy Spirit lead them. And so that's my role model. But have you invested even 10 minutes in conversation or an hour over lunch or at the park on a hike? Are you thinking of your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Folks, this is what we need. Because confrontation needs the context of love. And without that context of love, confrontation doesn't go well. So we have to exercise hospitality one to another. Friendliness to strangers without grumbling. Remember, complaint spoils hospitality. So love is intensely practical, not just emotional. In Peter's day, love included opening one's home and caring for other needy Christians, such as traveling preachers. Do you know I really can honestly tell you that I believe I'm a pastor today because my parents took a chance on having a stranger in their home, and they built a wonderful relationship with that stranger. And every time that stranger would come back from the mission field, every four years, he was in our home. And one day, as a 20-something young man, confused about what the call to the gospel ministry was, I sat down with a veteran of the mission field that had been a missionary for 40 years, and he simply asked me, Brent, can you do anything else and be in the will of God? Can you work a secular job, or can you only preach? I said, I think I can only preach and pastor. That's the only thing I know that would make me be in God's will. He said, you've got the calling. Did you see, that was facilitated, that blessing in my life, that, that affirmation. Now, the church affirmed it later in ordaining me in, in South Carolina. But that was only possible because of hospitality. So when we have missionaries come through, some of you have graciously opened your homes. Thank you. But we ought to have more than one or two homes available in a church. Really, we, we ought to see you fighting over the opportunity. Right? That, that's what really should be going on. If we're doing this well, all right? So use hospitality one to another without grudging. 1 Peter 4, 9. So then in review... All right, so use hospitality, look out for one another, and belong to one another. You don't belong to Jesus yet. Today is your invitation to belong to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ is the solution for your sin when he died on the cross. He paid for your sin in full. And then C, call upon his name. Jesus makes a promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.